from app.com, it's time to talk college hoops in the Garden State. Welcome to Jersey Jump Shot. That's right, championship week is upon us. Welcome back to Jersey Jump Shot. Ryan Ross here with Jerry Carino, Steve Edelson, and Chris Eisman. We know at least one New Jersey school will be playing in the NCAA tournament. A big congrats to FDU. They have punched their ticket to the big dance, and they haven't even played in their conference championship game yet. We uh, outlined the weird quirks going on with them in our last episode. But yes, FDU will be in the NCAA tournament. Who will join them from New Jersey? That remains to be seen. Of course, Rutgers, they're not doing themselves really any favors the last week for the Scarlet Knights. They are a nine seed in the Big Ten tournament. They take on the eight seed Michigan on Thursday. Seton Hall, they have a puncher's chance. They had a nice big win at Providence. They take on DePaul in the first round of the Big East tournament on Wednesday. Of course, Princeton, the Ivy League, they play Penn on Saturday. If they win that, they advance to the championship game. Winner of Cornell and Yale on Sunday. A lot going on. Riders, the two seed in the MAC tournament. They'll have a chance, of, of course, to punch their ticket. So much going on that we needed to bring in some help. Of course, Brad Wachtel, our bracketologist, he was kind enough to stop by the show and give his thoughts on who's in, who's out, and what these teams need to do to try to cement their spot in March Madness. Let's hear what Brad had to say. Well, it's championship week, and that can mean only one thing for the Jersey Jump Shot podcast. It means our bracketologist, the bracketologist, Brad Wachtel, is joining us. You know Brad already if you follow the show. I like to say we gave him his start. He's everywhere now. He's bigger than us, and uh, pretty soon you'll be seeing him on TV. But we still have his time. We're so thankful for that. This is Brad's time of year, and it is a crazy time of year. Uh, you can find his work at Facts and Bracks. Dot com His latest bracket just dropped as we count down six days now to Selection Sunday. Brad, I got to just ask you a lifestyle question. What is your life like this week now, especially that you've now introduced a baby into the equation? Uh, simply put, it's it's no sleep. It's it's taking care of baby Stella and crunching numbers. That is that is my life. And, and fortunately, I have a wife who is very understanding. Well, we all need that, as we can all attest to the importance of that in this line of work. Uh, you know, Brad, you can, uh, Brad is ranked in the top, among the top bracketologists in the country by, by bracketmatrix.com. And, but you already know that if you're paying attention to us. So, Brad, let's get right into it. The number one most pressing question people want to know, and that is Rutgers on the bubble after a very, uh, you know, painful loss at home to Northwestern to close the regular season. So let's, let's break Rutgers down. Uh, you know, is are they in your field right now? Tell us where they are. Yeah, so after last night's loss to Northwestern, Rutgers is still in the field, contrary to how many believe, thinking that their season is over. Their season is not over. If the season ended today, they would be playing in Dayton. Um, they still have a resume that is pretty good. Uh, Penn State is a team that entered my field after winning yesterday against Maryland. That gives Rutgers eight teams, eight, I'm sorry, eight wins over the field. Uh, so that's one thing that, that actually improved on their resume. Now, things to be concerned about, of course, Rutgers strength of record, which is a, a result-based metric from ESPN that is on the team sheet that the committee uses. Their strength of record is now 62 for comparison, last year, 
the team that had the worst strength of record to get into the field was Wyoming at 53. So this is significantly worse. And their strength of record is significantly worse than any other team in the field. Pittsburgh is the closest one at 56. Nobody else is outside the top 50. So I am concerned about that. And obviously, with the injury to Mawat Mag, the team has not looked the same. Um, as well as, you know, last night when, when they played, there was really only one other game on at the time. So if you're a committee member, there's a good chance they were watching. Um, and watching that game, it wasn't, it wasn't easy on the eyes, to, to put it lightly. Um, so look, Rutgers is hanging in there. They need to figure some things out prior to the Big Ten tournament. But if they continue on the path they're on, they're probably going to be in the NIT. One lo- loss to Michigan Thursday, almost certainly NIT, it sounds like. I would say it's likely NIT. I okay. wouldn't say it's a guarantee NIT because we're, we still have to see how other teams play. Um, now, again, they, they still have a lot of good on their resume, but the determining factor for, for me and I think for the committee, you know, from a non-biased standpoint, what it should be is how they're playing now and over the course of the last, if they lose to Michigan, that would be two and seven without Mawat Mag, and they just, they're just they just not a tourney team in that case. Hey, Brad, what do Rutgers fans need to look for? What teams could be particularly harmful to them over the next week? Yeah, so teams that are kind of just out that need to make a run. You're looking at a team in, from the Mountain West, like, a, like Utah State, who has excellent metrics. Uh, they're a team that certainly could be in the field right now, but they only have one win against quadrant one opponents. So what, what Utah state needs to do is they really need to get a win against another tournament team uh, in their conference tournament. If they can do that, they will have a chance to, to take over Rutgers. Uh, That's one team Uh, North Carolina losing uh, over the weekend to Duke was very important because they likely need to go win the ACC tournament at a minimum, get to the championship game to have any shot. Get North Carolina out of here. Get them out of here. Brad, how many quad one wins do they have? They have one. Get lost with your one quad win and your stinky ACC. Sorry, continue. So uh, other teams, Arizona State out of the Pac-12, who had a monster win, similar type win that Rutgers had. They won at Arizona. Uh, they are very close to breaking in the field. They're actually my, my first team out at the moment, and they have an opportunity in the Pac-12 tournament. Should they win their first game, they'll get a rematch with USC. A win over USC could put them into onto the right side of the bubble. Um, and then there are also teams like, like a Charleston uh, out of the CAA, who is currently 28-3 and three overall. Now, should they advance to the championship game and lose... They'll have a record of 29 and four, and the committee is going to take a hard look at that because a record like that, even though they don't have the quad one wins, it's something to be concerned about. They do have a top 50 strength of record. So so in that case, I would be concerned about Charleston. Um, And then one other team right now is Oklahoma State from the Big 12. Uh, They're just 17 and 14 overall, so they're probably going to need to win two games in the big 12 tournament, but again, another team with a a strength of record in top 45. So 
two wins out of the strongest from that conference tournament from the strongest league in the country uh, could get them on the right side of the bubble. Um, and then we didn't mention bit, uh, bit stealers, of course. Uh, so Florida Atlantic team out of the, out of conference USA uh, who is currently 26 and three overall, they will be in the NCAA tournament, even if they lose in their conference tournament. So if they lose, that means there's going to be one less bid uh, in the field. Um, and then there are other there are other tournaments going on, even if in high major leagues. If there's a team, you know, out of the ACC, for example, that like a Virginia Tech, who's not going to be in the NCAA tournament, they go win and, and win their conference tournament. Or Villanova, who's red hot right now. Or Villanova, exactly. Then that's another... That's one less bid. So there's a lot of other variables that are in place, which is why I can't say exactly if they win, they're in, they lose, they're out. It's not that simple. Right. Interesting. And you mentioned Utah State, by the way, who made my top 25 ballot today. And so I know that stuff doesn't really impact the tournament, but if Utah State cracks the top 25 six days before Selection Sunday, it will be interesting for sure. And Charleston could absolutely lose to Hofstra. I mean, Hofstra is really good, so that could be another. And I have to say, like, this is going to inject a little bit of opinion in here. Brad's a very fact-based guy, but I do like feel like the Charlestons of the world deserve a really good look. I mean, you know, absolutely. over a, over a middling team from a, from a major conference, whether it's the Big Ten or the Big East, like that's kind of what the NCAA tournament's about. And if Charleston's putting up twenty-eight wins, you know, and they have a couple big wins, and that's that team should get a crack. It would be a shame to see that team in the NIT. So, but we'll have to see how it shakes out with the committee. So, like Brad, you you're not gonna you can't say speak in certainties, but let's say Rutgers beats Michigan, which they you know right now we don't think they will the way they're playing, but who knows? It's one game. Um, if they beat Michigan, then they'll be in good shape. They'll have a they'll have a chance better than 50-50. Can you just take a, a rough stab at it? I, I would say if they beat Michigan, I, I would lean towards likely in. Um, but, but by no means is it a lock. And, and I think, like I said before, what it boils down to is the recency bias of the committee, even though they don't take into account now how you play in your last 10 and 12 games, when there's an injury involved and your team looks different, that has to be a huge, huge conversation uh, while the committee is determining who's in and who's out. And they should do that. And they, you know, they do it the opposite way too. When the team was missing a player, a, a really good player and lost a bunch of games and then got that player back and got hot. They do use that mitigating circumstance for sure. Uh, m- this is my last Rutgers question. The, uh, and actually it's just kind of a general question, but do how much do you feel like the committee really looks at conference tournament results anymore? And do they have to kind of do that by necessity this year, given the state of the bubble? Yeah, so they they look at conference tournaments, but generally speaking, once the conference tournament reaches Friday night, really Saturday and Sunday, your seeding teams that are in and out aren't going to change very much, if at all. That's one thing that I've noticed. But the first few days of conference tournaments absolutely matter. Okay, good to know. Let's turn our attention to Seton Hall. Uh, let's just give you, let me give you a hypothetical here. Cause they're coming off a big win at Providence. Seton Hall beats DePaul, Xavier and Creighton and reaches the big East final. Are they back in the bubble mix or are they too far? Are they too far off right now? I think they're back in the bubble mix. Cause now you're adding two more very good wins to their resume, which 
they already have a lot of good wins. Um, obviously, the win at Rutgers when they were a different Rutgers team, beating Memphis on a neutral court, that win is solid. Memphis will be in the NCAA tournament. And, of course, beating UConn and, and just totally obliterating Providence on the road, they, they have the wins. And if you add two more to that, if their overall metrics you would anticipate would, t- would take a nice, a nice jump, they'll be right there in the conversation. Interesting. Can, if Seton Hall somehow gets in this, and again, we, we know that's a long shot, but if they somehow get in this tournament, would, it, would they automatically be in Dayton? If they, can, they, can they do better than Dayton, or are they ticketed for that 11-12 spot? They would probably be ticketed for Dayton if they got okay. there, yes. And Rutgers, too, the chance, you know, we'll see what Rutgers does, but if they get in, the likelihood is Dayton probably. Yes. Um, the only caveat to that, I will say, is right now there are three Big Ten teams that are just in the field. Now, they're not going to put three Big Ten teams in Dayton. They won't play them against each other in the first round. That's a bracketing principle. They try to avoid that at all costs. Correct. So it, for, for me, you could be one of the last four teams in and technically not be in Dayton, which is very, very interesting. Um because Wisconsin, with the way their metrics line up and a 78 net, a team with a net that low is, generally speaking, always in Dayton. Um, and then and Penn State's another team who I, who I had mentioned that's elevated into the field. Um, you know, they're, they're my last team in at the moment. So there's a, some movement that's going to happen on that 11 seed line. Uh, so the, la- the last four in may not technically actually be the last four in. All right, let's talk about our three New Jersey mid-majors who are alive. Uh, let's start with the Ivy League and Princeton. Where do you have – I guess Yale is the team you have penciled in right now, right, because Yale's the one seed. Where do you have uh, the Ivy League getting the bid? Where could Princeton wind up? What seed? Yeah, so Yale right now is a 13 seed. Princeton right now would be on the borderline of a 13 or a 14 seed, uh, depending on which other teams out of other conferences win their conference tournaments. Um Yale's, Yale just has a much better net. They have a couple wins over Quadrant 2 opponents, um, slightly better metrics than Princeton does, but they, Princeton will be right there on that border. All right, and then the MAC champion, uh, Iona probably gets a better seed if it's them than, say, Ryder, for example. How would you how would you characterize that? Yeah, Iona right now is likely a 14 seed. Um, they don't have any major wins, um, but – in terms of their overall metrics, it kind of slots them in that 14 seed role. Um, and then Ryder could be a 15 or a 16 seed. We've already had two teams. Um, we'll talk about FDU and Southeast Missouri State that are, are locked in to that into Dayton. Um, so, you know, there's a chance Ryder could be a 15, but they're probably on the border of a 15, 16 depending on other results. Now explain to me why FDU is locked into Dayton because there's four 16 seeds, right? But there's only, but some of those 16 seeds are going to go right into the main bracket because there's only two playing games involving six potential 16 seeds. How does that work? So FDU has the worst metrics overall of any team, um, any automatic bid team. They're 300 in the net. And it's not just the net that you look at. You look at to see if they have any wins over any of the Q1 or Q2 opponents. They don't. um, And they also have 11 quad four losses, which is more than any other team. Uh, And and then just their overall metrics of strength of record is 275, which is the worst of any team. Um, Their Ken Palm is 315, which is the worst of any team. I don't want to, you know, 
talk too negatively about FDU because it's obviously a great time, but uh, you know they're they're the the worst metrics of any other team. So it's clearly that they will be in Dayton. No, it's your it's your job to be clinical. Let me be the guy who pumps them up and goes crazy when they storm the court. That's okay. Uh, the one seeds, Brad. What are, what are we looking at? So one seeds are pretty locked in. Uh, we're looking at Alabama, Kansas, Houston, and likely Purdue. Had Purdue lost to Illinois uh, yesterday, there would have been a strong conversation to lift UCLA up into that one role, into that one seed. Um, it's possible they get there, uh, but right now I think. The four seeds of Alabama, Kansas, Houston, Purdue is pretty solid. Hey, Brad, what are you most looking forward to seeing over the next week? I, I don't know. What what interests you the most? What is, what's going to grab your attention, do you think? That's a, that's a great question. Um, I, I just think, like, for me, it's the sep- separating of the bubble. Uh, I think a few weeks ago, it seemed like the field was set. Uh, like things were aligning perfectly in terms of bracketology. You didn't really have to, you know, really decipher between teams on the bubble, off the bubble. It kind of worked itself out. Now there are a lot more teams with contrasting resumes. Every team has a flaw. A lot of teams have a strength that's that's very, very good. So it's really a matter of who's going to separate themselves early on in conference tournaments and pull away. It's it's going to happen to somebody uh, in one direction or the other. And at this point, it's really hard to say who it's going to be. Folks, that is why we need an expert bracketologist. That's way above our heads. Brad Wachtel, factsandbracks.com. Watch for him this week. He's the guy. Go there. I'll be looking at it every hour. Well, at least every day, maybe every hour when we get down to Saturday and Sunday. Brad, thanks so much. Try to get a little sleep. Okay, brother? Thanks a lot, guys. And again, thanks to Brad Wachtel for joining us on the show. Jerry, just your reactions to, to what Brad had to say. A, a lot of moving parts, of course, at this point in the season. But when you hear what he has to say about New Jersey schools, what stands out to you? Well, I have to tell you, um, a couple of surprises. So, you know, I follow Brad closely. I consult with him uh, throughout the weeks. And, he, he seems a little more bullish on Rutgers' chances today than maybe I thought he would. Uh, and it, it does need to be pointed out. Like people, there's a lot of backlash when you use the words eye test. You know, the metrics nerds, for lack of a better phrase, come at you with the sharp knives. But the eye test does matter when it comes to evaluating a team who lost an injured player because they're not the same team that was 8-4 and four in the Big Ten. We're talking about Rutgers. Emma Watt Mag. They're not that team anymore. And so they have to prove that they are that team. And they haven't proved that. They've been, you know, they've been two and six since then. So it does jump out at me that like we kind of left the rack last night thinking Rutgers was was left for dead. You know, and then here they're they're, they're really not. They still kind of control their own destiny against Michigan State. So that jumped out at me. And we'll we'll talk about them in a minute. And Chris will, you know, Chris covered that game last night. Uh, we'll get into Rutgers in a second. I just also wanted to mention that I'm surprised that Seton Hall has an at-large pulse. You know, I had written that off. And so that is intriguing heading into the Big East tournament, and we'll get into that as well. But Rutgers first, and Chris, you know, you have seen all these games, as have I. Uh, What do you think is wrong, and can anything be done in time 
in three days' time for Michigan and Chicago where you will be covering the Big Ten tournament? Well, I think, you know, leave it to Caleb McConnell. He, he kind of summed it up really well last night. He said, we can play all the defense in the world, but if we can't put the ball in the basket, that's going to be a problem. And basically that's what is affecting Rutgers right now. There's just no offense. And when you watch it, sometimes you kind of like, what are they trying to accomplish? Because it's just not happening. Um, you know, Paul Mulcahy has been struggling, um, which, and, and Jerry, you wrote this today, that it could be, you know, some of it, you know, the after effects are still dealing with that shoulder injury that he suffered early in the season. You wonder if it's time to start giving Derek Simpson uh, more minutes or maybe not even wonder, maybe it might be time to do that. Um, but there's a lot going on with that team offensively. Defensively, they're still played well. You know, they've had some lapses this year. We know that. But for the most part, they're still a very good defensive team. But they have to figure out a way to score. And you just and also you can't in a game like this of that magnitude to miss 10 free throws is unacceptable. And they had been a better free throw shooting team at the start of the season. And when you miss 10 last night, I mean, that's just you can't do that. You can't give away that many points and just, you know, it, it, it's a momentum killer. I mean, it's just so much went wrong last night. And when you do watch Rutgers lose the way that they did, they don't look like an NCAA tournament team. They just don't. And, you know, I, I know that Milwaukee Mag was an important piece, but they have to do a better job of overcoming that, and they simply have not been able to. And there's a lot of offensive issues with this team, and they better figure it out fast or else things are, you know, things are going to get ugly. What I see is fatigue, Chris. I see fatigue is the root of the problem, right? And Mag, like, yes, Caleb, Caleb McConnell, who's a great guy and, you know, tremendous, tremendous job as the only player in the press conference yesterday answering tough questions from, from a dozen reporters. Give him a lot of credit for his maturity and how he's carried himself as no a doubt. tremendous face for the program. Uh, but, and he's, he's got a point. He's got a good point about they need, you know, they can't just do it on defense. But I think the, one of the roots of the problem is, as Caleb said, Mawat wasn't scoring a ton of points, but everyone had to compensate for his loss in minutes. And like Rutgers doesn't have a lot of depth. So now you're down to basically six guys, who can who are, can really make an impact on this level, and the minutes have soared for these starters, and they just look fatigued, I and mean, they fatigued physically. Front rim three point shots, missed free throws. Defense that has been good, but like dropping off late in games because these minutes are so high. Turnovers that are mental errors. It seems like physical and mental fatigue, and I feel like the only way, the only card Steve has left in the deck is more for Derek Simpson. He's fresh. He has pop in his – Steve even said it himself. He has pop in practice in his legs. They, You know, 20 minutes, 18 minutes, it's not enough. He needs to play starters minutes. The two, the two games where Simpson has played starters minutes more than, more than 25 minutes, okay? That's what I would call starters minutes. The two Big Ten games he's done that have been – he's had to play great. Game against, game against Indiana where they romped him at home. And then the comeback at Penn State last week, he was the instrumental straw that stirred the drink in both those games. He played more than 25 minutes. That has to be the card that Steve plays for the Big Ten tournament. I don't know what else to suggest. Time's he's running out. He's a spark plug for them. You know, he's proven that. I, I totally agree with you, Jerry. It's time to give him a bigger bigger role. Yeah, and it's you know, this is it's, it's a shame because, like, you can't control injuries, right? But you can control how you respond. And Steve is a guy who – stay the course type of guy. Like I stick to my principles and it's admirable and he loves his veterans and they deserve his love and respect and trust. But 
as a coach, sometimes you got to make the hard decisions and sort of break the glass. And I think we've reached that point with Rutgers. It starts for Rutgers, as we said, Thursday. It's an 11 a.m. tip local time out in Chicago for the tournament. Of course, noon for us. So uh, I hope the, the coffee's brewed. I hope Rutgers gets Breakfast a good night's sleep. Breakfast and basketball will be better. <laughs> <laughs> Breakfast and basketball in Chicago. I mean, I hope they get a good night's sleep because, as Jerry said, it, it seems like an energy problem. And it seems like the lack of energy leads to a lack of focus when it comes to something like free throws, like Chris mentioned. So they need to figure it out quickly. And having Michigan as that first draw, that's a tough one too for Rutgers. That's a team that's, that's given them a, a lot of a lot of trouble over the past few years. So that's a tough one for Rutgers to try to figure out, and and we'll see how they're able to navigate it. It should be interesting, and uh, Chris will have the the coffee going, I guess, on Thursday. I have a lot of it. I always have a lot of coffee anyway, um, but I have a lot of it on Thursday. Don't worry. That's all I drink in March. <laughs> I try to sneak in. A, I try to sneak in a glass of vino every now and then. Even that's tough. Hopefully not at the same time. That'd be that'd be rough. Uh, very, very oh, brutal. You can't be doing that. Even the even the crazy Italians over in Sicily don't drink it that way. <laughs> well, well, how about Scene Hall though? They have a five thirty game. That's happy hour on Wednesday. They have DePaul starting in the Big East tournament. Uh, like you said, Jerry, interesting to hear that that they have, according to Brad, they have a shot if they can put together some wins. Of course, easier said than done. But the fact that Seton Hall still has a pulse, uh, that's really encouraging, I think, for Pirates fans. The number one most surprise, so surprising result of this entire season from a New Jersey basketball standpoint was Seton Hall going to Providence Saturday with eight scholarship players, a rotation of seven guys missing their point guard and beating Providence, 20th ranked Friars by 24 points. An absolutely stunning, mind-boggling result. And... Look, could it be a one-off? Seton Hall's shots fell through the net for a change. Maybe, of course. But here's the difference. Uh, Femi Otakali is now playing point guard. And Kadari Richmond, who's been out with a back injury, who may well not be back for the Big East tournament, uh, Femi Otakali has been playing off the ball all season. And has, he's been a really good defender. He sort of struggled to find his place offensively. Now he's on the ball where he's always played where he just seems more comfortable. And maybe this is, you know, so the throttle going to fifth gear for Seton Hall. It's fascinating. Like, the, it wasn't just guys making tough shots. Seton Hall's offense hummed, and it was crisp, and it was really um, high IQ offense with him at the controls. So I think there's an intrigue there. Like, could Seton Hall be getting hot at the right time? The polls. March. It's yeah. March. It's Shaheen Holloway. He's already made one great adjustment. It's going to be fascinating to see what happens, really. And he's he's what gives you that puncher's chance, I think, Jer. Think about it. Think about Shaheen Holloway's history in March, Steve. He's got one of the great NCAA tournament first-round highlight plays of all time, going coast-to-coast to beat Oregon in 2000, the first round. And then he coached the greatest Cinderella ever to the Elite Eight. If I mean, if there's anybody who knows March Magic – it's Shaheen Holloway. And so they, they go into this draw, which I think is not bad. Like the two best teams in the Big East are Marquette and UConn. They're on the other side of the bracket. You know, they're going to have to go to war and maybe a semifinal. And then there's Seton Hall who gets DePaul, who's lost like 100 straight games, and they're going to have no fans there. And then the big thing about Seton Hall's win over Providence, I think, is going to get the Pirate fans to show up to Madison Square Garden because then you get Xavier, who's not going to have that many fans there. And Seton Hall is going to have a ton of blue in the stands. And Seton Hall, they actually match up pretty well against Xavier. And they got, they did get pummeled in the second game, but it was a, 
It was right after Richmond had scratched with the back injury and there was some discombobulation about running the offense that seems to have been stabilized. And the other thing that happened at the end of that game against Xavier is Xavier's up by 27 points and they have their starters in chucking threes right until the final buzzer. That's a breach of protocol, okay? I realize like the net, you got to run the score up or whatever, but I mean, 30 seconds left, pull your starters or dribble the clock out. doesn't make a difference with your net and your metrics. If there's a walk on chucking threes, no big deal. Everyone gets that's okay. But Xavier, what Xavier did really infuriated Seton Hall. And there was some, you know, words and almost a scuffle, almost a little little fight after the game. Uh, Seton Hall didn't talk much about it. But I know that that's going to be a motivating factor if that game comes to fruition. Keep that in the back of your mind if that matchup happens Thursday. And then you have Creighton, which is very good. And then you have Villanova, which is red hot. Like Villanova could beat Creighton. They could easily beat Creighton in that other quarterfinal. And now it's possible. Again, I'm, I'm doing down the line here. But you could have Seton Hall and Villanova in a semifinal in the Big East tournament. And see, they've played twice. And Villanova's beaten Seton Hall by four points twice. That's a pretty even Steven matchup. So I do think there's capability for chaos in the bottom half of that Big East bracket where Seton Hall is. So the Pirates have a pulse. And hearing Brad say... They don't even have to win the whole thing to get back in the bubble conversation. Just to reach that final really makes you wonder, like, could this, could we be talking about them later this week? Could they become a national story? So it's a lot to ask. I wouldn't bet the house on it, but it's possible. And in March, as Steve said, all you want is a possibility, especially with Shaheen Holloway. That Xavier game, if it does happen, that would be Thursday at 7 o'clock. So as Jerry said, an opportunity for for Seton Hall fans to get there and and see their team in action. They play 530 uh, the day before against DePaul. Oh, by the way, Rutgers, if they get past Michigan, they have an 11 a.m. game the next day, this time against Purdue. So good luck with that. But uh, as we look now at our mid-majors, of course, the Ivy League tournament happening this weekend, Saturday. Princeton against Penn at 130, the game before that, the one seed Yale against the four seed Cornell. The championship game happens the next day. Ryder, they take the floor Wednesday at 930. They get the winner of Fairfield and St. Peter's. They are the two seed in the MAC tournament. And as we said, FDU has already punched their ticket. So when we look at the mid-majors, Steve, what stands out to you? Well, I think we you look at both of those tournaments you mentioned coming up in New Jersey. You know, I think Yale is is really a solid favorite in the Ivy League. They have really established themselves uh, as the best team in the league right now. Nine of ten. This is their th- uh, third twenty-plus win season in their last four. You know, they played very well. But Princeton, you know, if they can get to the final on their home court, yeah, who knows? You know, I, mean, I think it's going to be a great tournament, Jar. The home court thing is huge. Like, Yale is better than Princeton. They've beaten them twice. Uh, The second time, obviously, was really close. But they've had Princeton's number. They have the better resume. But Princeton's at home. And here's the thing. Princeton's a weird dynamic. You know, you go to those games, and it's it's like local people, and it's faculty members in the stands, and there's not a lot of students. There have just not been a lot of students in Jadwin Gym. So can they get those students to turn out? I'm sure their fellow sports teams – you know, the athletes of the other teams will be there. Can they turn Jadwin into a home court circus befitting a conference final at this level? That's what could maybe make the difference. Like when they played Yale a couple of weeks back, the crowd was pretty good. You know, I was there, but it wasn't, it wasn't, there weren't a lot of students. It wasn't crazy. 
And so can they get it crazy? That maybe can push Princeton over the top. And I'm telling you, if that game takes place, I'm going to be there. And I think it's a fascinating game that Princeton could definitely win with two good shooting teams. Can they turn Jadwin into a real home court advantage is the question. Well, in the other tournament going on in New Jersey, the MAC tournament down in Atlantic City, uh, on Saturday you had the top two seeds playing in essentially a meaningless game. They were locked into their seeds. Uh, but Iona went to Ryder and beat them 80-78. to 78. Um, Listen, Iona's the favorite in that tournament. We know that. But if there is a team with a chance to knock them off, and they did it last year in the tournament, you know, I I think it's Ryder, and I, I think that'll be very interesting. They they're gonna they're gonna have a good game if they do meet. Do you think Ryder fans? They seem to have a pretty good base of support there. Do you think those fans turn AC into a home court? I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, you were there last year, Jer. Uh, I thought I thought there were certain teams that did a good job. I thought Mama did. did a good job. Yup. So can Ryder do that? They probably can. And it, it would be nice to see because, you know, you, you can get a nice atmosphere in that lower bowl in Atlantic City. And I think the MAC does a good job with that tournament. Um, but, you know, listen, I, I think we all know, you know, what Shaheen Holloway did last year. Well, that's what Rick Pitino envisioned himself doing. And he's going to try and do it again this year. And I, I don't think anyone expects him to be back at Iona next year. So it will be very interesting to see if he can get through that tournament. I agree. They're a solid favorite. Let's talk about FDU for a minute. Uh, I was I was at the game, the semifinal, where they punched the ticket uh, to the NCAA tournament on, on Saturday night at the Rothman Center in Hackensack. And it was awesome. It was just everything March is supposed to be. A team that was 4-22 and last year that brought in a coach from the Division II ranks, Tobin Anderson, who brought his entire backcourt, two guards, uh, Dimitri Roberts and Grant Singleton, from St. Thomas Aquinas in New York, a Division II perennially successful program. And the three of them turned FDU into a champion. It went to, well, they're not a champion yet, but they turned them into an NCAA tournament team, which is an incredible accomplishment. And the the, the atmosphere was great. Uh, the, the Rothman Center students were piling in throughout the first half. They stormed the court afterwards to celebrate with the players. There was no net cutting because you only cut the nets when you win a tournament. So I respect FDU for that, but it was just a great atmosphere. And look, this is what it's all about, right? The improbability of it all and, you know, the the fact that it was on their court and it was sort of a celebration of the school. They had their moment as the first team to punch a ticket to the big dance. And for, I will say this. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the first four. The field at 60 at 64 had a lot of nice symmetry. But the one nice thing is a team like FDU gets to go there and maybe win a game, you know, uh, and that's that's really meaningful to win a game in March. They get that stage, that national stage. So FDU has a game before then. It's bizarre that they have to go now to Merrimack, who's who's the favorite in the Northeast Conference Tournament final. However, big congratulations to Tobin Anderson and his players for reviving FDU and getting to the NCAA tournament. It's a tremendous achievement. And Tobin Anderson, I got to give him a lot of credit. He he knew exactly what buttons to push to bring his players in, to develop the guys who were left over, to keep them there, and to develop them, and to form that union into cohesive whole. And they're fun to watch. They push the ball. They share the ball. So it's been a, a tremendous story, and it was a lot of fun to chronicle on Saturday. One team is in. How many more will join FDU from New Jersey? I guess we'll have to wait and see. It's championship week. It's a fun week of college basketball, basically nonstop hoops from now till April. 
it's the best time of the year, and I know we're all looking forward to it. Should be a very interesting week with the Big East, with the Big Ten. We'll see what happens in the Ivy League and MAC as well. Of course, Jerry, Steve, and Chris will be on top of everything college hoops in New Jersey. Read their reporting on NorthJersey.com, APP.com, MyCentralJersey.com, and enjoy the games. Again, thanks to Brad Wachtel for joining the show. Check out Facts and Brax. That's his website. Give him a follow on Twitter as well. Thanks to Brad for stopping by, and thank you for listening to Jersey Jump Shot. Enjoy the games, and we'll talk to you next week. Jersey Jump Shot is a production of the Asbury Park Press and USA Today Network. Subscribe at app.com.